the authority to use nuclear weapons rests with the president and the president alone. We've got nothing but good news on this program, don't we? <laughs> Every day. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Also, as ever, joining us today from bradblog.com as well is the lovely Desiree Doyen. How are yes, you, Desi? I am here. <laughs> that that good, huh? Yeah. Not, that's not a very optimistic way to start this program. I'm, I'm just sorry, saying. but it's true. That's all you got? <laughs> all so right. That's what I got. All right. Well, uh, cheer up. Because we've got uh, some fantastic news ahead, as we always do on the broadcast. Uh, among them, following up on this report yesterday, uh, got a few more details on this that I want to hit first. Uh, from uh, this report from AP yesterday, that the uh, state of Georgia completely wiped out its uh, election server at Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections. Uh, As uh, AP reported yesterday, as we covered yesterday, as we will be covering also on our next program, uh, as the plaintiff gets her voice back and is able to join us on the show to talk about this fine mess. But uh, AP themselves did a follow-up on this, um, on uh, the fact that election reform activists sued the state of Georgia On July 3, the Secretary of State, a number of counties, and the Kennesaw State University Center for Elections, they sued on July 3, demanding its highly questioned statewide elections system be immediately retired. They want to move from the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems they use in the state to a paper ballot system that might actually be verifiable. Uh, So they sued on on July 3. Uh, after all sorts of questions about the June 20 U.S. House special election and questions about results and the 
confirmation of a huge data breach that was discovered last year, well before the presidential election in Georgia. Uh, that breach was apparently ignored by the Kennesaw State University Center for Elections, which programs all of the state's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems used across the entire state, as well as its computer tabulators for mail-in votes, its electronic uh, poll books, etc. This one place programs everything in the state of Georgia for elect when it comes to elections with no oversight whatsoever. Why worry about that? Sounds great. Anyway, they sue on July 3. Four days later, technicians at Kennesaw State University destroyed the entire server, wiped it out, wiped it clean, destroyed uh, which a, a key piece of evidence in this lawsuit that was filed on July 3. Now, we, we covered this in detail yesterday. I've got a few more details coming up here today. But just to give you an idea about how, you know, we've been reporting on uh, Georgia's elections for years now, almost 15 years, and also other states where these same sort of systems are used, these touchscreen-style voting systems, as well as concerns about the computer tabulators that paper ballots are run through. Um, but now you got other people uh, jumping in since AP is finally reporting on these concerns. Uh, a website called The Register out of UK. They're, uh, it's, it's like a tech site, mostly. Their tagline is biting the hand that feeds IT. Get it? That yeah. feeds it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but they're you know, a fairly well-known site. Um, terrible coverage of this story at the register the uh, the headline that they used on this story US voting server at heart of Russian hack probe mysteriously wiped what at Russia yeah uh, this is at the heart at the heart of the Russian hack probe uh, subtitle nothing to see here move along comrade move along oh my. and the story starts a computer at the center of a lawsuit digging into Russian interference in the US presidential election has been wiped well that sounds terrible unless of course you're familiar with the actual lawsuit and realize that while they cite concerns that were uh, you know floated before the election about Russia and so on and so forth this is not a uh, this is not at the heart of the Russian hack probe, as they describe it. Uh, this is about results in the state of Georgia and whether the people of Georgia can actually oversee their own elections and know if the results as reported are accurate, particularly in this U.S. House special election that took place in uh, June, in which it looked like the Democrat had a very good chance of winning. All kinds of crazy things happened. Uh, and then what do you know, the former Republican Secretary of State, who used to oversee these election systems in the state of Georgia, she ended up winning. She is now Karen Handel. She is now sitting in the U.S. House of Representatives as a member of Congress. Anyway, I called out the register uh, on Twitter last night for this just ridiculous coverage. They uh, fought me at first, and then they finally came around and they said, "Oh, okay, yeah, we see what you what you mean." Oh, good for them. Yeah, and they uh, did the right thing in theory to correct the article, the correction. Yeah, but it's already out there in the internet. And, well, it is, you know. uh, but it's also the correction's not all that much of a correction. Oh. And the headline now reads: "U.S. voting server in election security probe is mysteriously wiped." That's good. That part is accurate. 
Subtitle is still nothing to see here, comrade. Move <laughs> along, move along. They just loved that subheadline. No too idea much. why. <laughs> and then they added the word, and then that, that first paragraph where it had said uh, computer center, uh, a computer at the center of the lawsuit digging into Russian interference. They changed that. They added the word analysis in bold to the front. As if to say, because this is analysis, we can say anything we want. We don't have to be actually accurate. So they added the word analysis, and they said a computer at the center of a lawsuit digging into woeful cybersecurity practices during the U.S. presidential election has been wiped. So there's that, at least. So they sort of changed it. It's sort of uh, some good news there, I guess, moving in the right direction. It is important to report accurately on this stuff. And this is one of the reasons why it's, I've you know said many times, uh, you know, there's a lot we don't know. Most uh, stuff that we do not know about what happened in last year's presidential election. And we know even less about what happened in that U.S. House race. You know, but all of this focus on Russia, this Russia, that. OK, if we have actual evidence that they have in some way gamed the election, gamed the election results, whatever it is, fine. When we have hard stuff to report, we report it. Um, but this focus on uh, Russia being a threat to our elections ignores the fact that China is also a threat. So is Iran. So is North Korea. So is Al-Qaeda. So is ISIS. By the way, so is Germany, France, the UK, and even more so, the people who actually run our elections here in the U.S. So one of my concerns has been that all the focus on Russia means that, oh, if you only stop those dastardly Russians, then we're okay. Then we're safe. No, we are not safe. These machines are unbelievably vulnerable to manipulation. It does not take a nation state to do it. And uh, any uh, a single person can do it within seconds time, a hacker in this country or an election official who has access to these voting machines. Um, but I have digressed again. Go figure. All right. The uh, the additional news now that we have about this mysteriously wiped server, which was completely wiped as we have uh, we are now learning. Uh, in the middle of this lawsuit over the election and over the stuff that is was on that server that was completely wiped, we got a few updates now from Associated Press today. Um, the server holding data on Georgia's 6.7 million voters. It had all the personal data on there, uh, birth date, names, uh, I think social security numbers and so forth. Uh, that server holding all of that data used to stage elections had been exposed on the open internet for at least six months until early June. We knew that part. We knew that it had been exposed, that it had been sitting there, that security expert Logan Lamb had discovered this, had alerted officials to this uh, huge vulnerability back in August of last year, and that it had gone unpatched and sat there on the internet open including the passwords to these voting systems, the administrative passwords, uh, that had it had been sitting there for some six months, making it, frankly, child's play to uh, change the results of elections and so forth. So they have a, a Q&A, AP does, following up on their blockbuster report yesterday, um, that, uh, that a Q&A that asks, well, a couple of key questions. Why, why preserve this data? Well, they note that it's necessary to know whether the server might have been hacked. 
and the outcome of last November's election and a special House of Representatives vote on June 20, whether those results were altered. Data on the server included passwords used by county officials to access elections, uh, management files, and other way, in other words, the way the actual voting systems are programmed. That was all on these systems. And if it had been manipulated in some way, if it had just been in error in some way, let's say they put Karen Handel's results on the line where John Ossoff's result, he's the Democratic challenger. If they had just switched those two in the tables, it would be pretty much nobody would know. Nobody would know unless we went back and examined the server, which has now been wiped out. Who ordered this server to be wiped out? We still do not know. The Secretary of State of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who is a Republican uh, running for governor in 2018. He is a terrible Secretary of State. He has purged voters from voting rolls and everything else. Uh, he ignored computer scientists who begged him to make paper ballots available during this uh, House election uh, back in June. Uh, he oversees the entire uh, system, of course, as uh, Georgia's chief elections official. He's the main defendant in this lawsuit. And on Thursday, he blamed the wipe on, quote, the undeniable ineptitude of Kennesaw State's elections center. Oh, passing some buck there. Yeah, any. Uh, his spokeswoman told the AP that Kemp's office did not order the destruction and did not know of it beforehand. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. That's what he says. Kennesaw State officials have not responded to the AP's request to know who ordered the server wiped or why they did not keep an image before deleting its data. They could have taken uh, what is known as an image file. Essentially, it's a, a picture of sorts of the uh, of the hard drive. So you at least can go back and look at what was on it before it was deleted. Uh, emails in the open records request that was filed by um, uh, I'm actually I'm not sure if this one was filed by the AP itself or by the uh, plaintiffs in the lawsuit show that a senior university engineer instructed technicians to wipe the server's hard drive. The university press the university's press office said in a statement on Thursday that the instructions followed, quote, standard operating procedures. OK, uh, for whom? Uh, who, who gave this instruction? We still don't know. Now, we do know the Atlanta FBI uh, did make an image of the server uh, when it temporarily took custody of it back in March when the concerns finally became public about this open server just sitting there on the Internet in March. That was uh, about a month or so before the primary for this special House election. Uh, and uh, several months before the June uh, the runoff election there, uh, the Atlanta FBI still has not said whether they have retained that copy of that image file, whether they still have it, or whether it has done any forensic examination to determine whether the server was accessed by hackers or not. The state attorney general's office, uh, who is uh, the Secretary of State's lawyer in this case, Brian Kemp's lawyer in this case, notified the court on Wednesday that it intends to subpoena the FBI for the image of that drive. Why the FBI is not being uh, particularly helpful here is unclear, but now uh, the Secretary of State's office says they are going to take this upon themselves to subpoena the FBI to get a copy of that image file. 
in, in the meantime, a Republican state representative, Scott Turner in Georgia, has now called for a criminal investigation into this entire matter. That's good news. Looking at the details of these emails, uh, Ars Technica uh, goes through them and finds that the uh, that these uh, new emails show that a guy named Chris Daner, one of the information security staffers at Kennesaw State University, emailed his boss, a guy by the name of Stephen Gay, to say that the two backup servers had been, quote, degaussed. Degaussed? How do you say that? Uh, degaussed. degaussed. Yeah, we would say degaussed. degaussed three times. So, remember, the suit was filed on July 3, and on July 7, they, uh, Kennesaw Center for Elections deleted the server, and then uh, August, one, uh, August 9, a month later, they then deleted the two backups as well that they had and degaussed them three times. No one from Kennesaw State University... Uh, including either Daner or Gay, responded to uh, a request for comments as to who ordered those servers to be wiped out and why it was done. The emails came on the same day, August 9, 2017, that the lawsuit was moved from state to federal court on the same day. They wiped out the backups. Neither the judge in state court nor the judge in the federal court appears to have issued a preservation order, which would have required the state to hang on to the servers. But Marilyn Marks, the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, she is one of the plaintiffs in this suit. Uh, and we hope that she'll be joining us on our next broadcast when her uh, laryngitis hopefully clears up. She says she had issued a litigation hold notice to the defendants. So the defendants should have known that they should not, uh, this litigation hold basically says don't destroy any documents or evidence that could be useful in this lawsuit. She emailed uh, a comment yesterday to Ars Technica saying they know that they are required to preserve all records when they are sued. They don't need a court order. Even if the Secretary of State's office didn't have three dozen attorneys to tell them to preserve the records, they got this letter, and then she includes the letter from us on July 10 and destroyed the second server hard drive on August 9th, a month later. Kennesaw State University's Center for Elections and its executive director, Merle King, are also named as plaintiffs in this case. So they would have received this letter as well, in theory, along with the state of Georgia and the three counties where the June 20th U.S. House special election was held in the uh, Georgia's 6th District in June. Uh, Ars Technica reports that this level of deletion is common practice in the industry when hardware is to be retired, that you would degauss it, uh, you know, thoroughly so you couldn't have access to any of the information on there. Yeah, degaussing means that you basically run it through a magnet and that uh, causes all data to be lost. Doing it three times means you really don't want that data to be found. You really don't. Uh, absent any other backups or earlier forensic images, the deletion will likely frustrate any further investigation. They report Nicholas Weaver, a computer science uh, scientist at International Computer Science Institute, says that is nuke drive. Degaussing literally destroys the drive because it not only erases data, it erases the synchronization information on the drive as well. So we will see. We'll see what the FBI uh, has, if anything. We'll see if uh, there's a 
criminal investigation brought forward. We will see what we what we could learn and what the plaintiffs learn. But, you know, this, you know, after sometimes after a show like our last one where we talked about uh, this this story and we talked about the mess not only in Georgia, but uh, we had uh, two journalists from maplight.org talking about how one single one single dark money donor gave some 17 million dollars in a single donation to this right wing outfit called uh, Judicial Crisis Network. And that $17 million was apparently used to essentially buy $7 million in ads to block Obama, to help block Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland, and then uh, $10 million to promote Donald Trump's nominee, Neil Gorsuch, to the now stolen U.S. Supreme Court seat. So, you know, between the Georgia story, between the uh, stolen Supreme Court story, it kind of feels like sometimes there is no hope left for American democracy. And I understand if you listen to this show, if you read Brad blog, it's kind of, you know, sometimes it feels like, yeah, we're we're screwed here that the uh, that the great American experiment in representative democracy. Well, it was nice. We enjoyed it while it lasted. But you know what? It's over. It has failed. And that may be the case. But then I get a nice uh, then I get an email like this one from a listener, uh, which uh, kind of made my day, made my week already, I guess. Um, subject. This is from uh, a, a listener, Betsy, with the subject line, even in middle school elections. She writes, Dear Brad, I teach in a middle school and we had student council elections this week. She says, I taught the class the importance of a secret ballot their right to vote or not vote, why our class was using paper ballots, even though other (laughs) classes were using an eyes-closed, raised-hand system, and why I insisted that two students watch me tally the vote. So other, other, apparently other classes, they just say, okay, everybody close your eyes, raise your hand for this candidate, raise your hand for that candidate. And of course, the teacher could say, you know, whatever whatever he or she wants, (laughs) right? Um, So, no, they used paper ballots, secret paper ballots uh, that were then publicly counted. Betsy says we enter our class's choice through a Google Doc, meaning they put it into a computer after they've determined what the class wanted. Right. Uh, But she says I printed out a copy of the emailed receipt so they would know that I had correctly input, quote, the will of the voters. Aw, 25 minutes, very well spent, she says, and I don't even teach social studies. <laughs> Love great. your show, Betsy. Thank you, Betsy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Betsy. At least we're getting somewhere. You know, I don't know how much uh, they teach. I don't know how much civics they, they teach these days in school. But uh, Betsy, great job. When I feel like we are screwed, we're not getting anywhere. You know what? Hopefully folks like Betsy are teaching their kids to, uh, you know, what democracy means, what overseeable democracy actually means and why it's so important to have a record and to make sure that everything is publicly overseen and so forth. So, you know what? Uh, Maybe we didn't win with this uh, generation, but maybe the one after us will will understand (laughs) participatory democracy letting the kids actually see it feel it do it themselves and understand how it works we need more of that from top to bottom from the voting to the uh to the counting 
to the keeping records. Yeah, we uh, we do need more of that. So uh, thank you, Betsy, very much for that note. You make this week a little bit better. Gold star for the day, Betsy. There you go. <laughs> and you don't even teach social studies. <laughs> All right, a quick break. And we are back with um, more encouraging news. Oh, dear. Concerning nuclear war in North Korea. I'm Brad Friedman. Cheer up. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It is good for absolutely nothing. And you would think that uh, Donald Trump, who claims to love our troops, love our veterans, uh, would be concerned about what our troops and veterans have to say, what they think of him. Well, the American Legion on Thursday called for President Trump to veto legislation that would effectively kill a rule that would have made it easier, that will make it, well, that rule would have made it easier for consumers to sue banks and credit card companies when they engage in fraudulent and deceptive practices. That rule had been five years in the making by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or the CFPB. That's the federal consumer agency that was created after the global economic meltdown that was precipitated by the fraudulent practices by these banks that led to the, to the banking and the mortgage crisis. The American Legion, which is a veterans organization, said in a statement that the resolution that was passed by the Senate on Wednesday night to kill that rule. That resolution was supported by the Trump administration. It barely passed uh, in the Republican U.S. Senate with 51 votes, thanks to the help of uh, Vice President Pence, who broke the 50-50 tie after all of the Democrats voted against it and just two Republican senators joined them. Uh, that resolution, uh, the American Legion says, would deprive veterans and military service members of the ability to challenge unfair financial practices. American Legion National Commander Dennis Rohan said every service member and veteran should have the right and responsibility to confront predatory loan practices. 
The resolution, if signed by Trump, as expected, would shut down the CFPB's rule that would allow consumers to band together to sue banks and credit card companies in class action lawsuits. Without the rule, consumers have to enter into mandatory arbitration clauses with these financial institutions mean that they must settle disputes in arbitration by themselves in arbitration rather than go to court with a whole bunch of other angry consumers as well. And few bother to exercise those arbitration rights and of those who do, according to the CFPB, in their five-year study looking at this, very few uh, such consumers actually end up successful in arbitration or uh, receiving much uh, payment for their troubles. Rohan said, our members, our membership has stated unequivocally that we are opposed to situations where our military and veterans' financial protections are chipped away to increase the profits of the big banks. Repealing the CFPB arbitration rule takes away consumers' most effective tool to protect themselves against predatory lenders, she said. Well, good for the American Legion. So uh, why do Republicans and Donald Trump hate the American Legion? Why do they hate the troops? Why do they hate our veterans? Remember, these are the same folks that are pretending that it is an insult to the troops and the veterans when a football player respectfully kneels during the national anthem in protest of systemic racism and police brutality. But no, taking away their rights to sue against people who fraudulently uh, exercise deceptive practices against them. Oh, that's, you know, that's that's got to stop. So um, good for the American Legion there. That's some good news. And uh, in the, maybe, maybe some encouraging news. We'll see if Trump pays attention. He's expected to sign this thing. I don't think he's going to do anything, no matter what the American Legion says. Yes, and, and unfortunately, there's another problem with it. The fact that the Republicans pushed this through under the Congressional Review Act, the big stipulation of that uh, yeah. act is that if it is rescinded then a substantially similar law or rule cannot ever be proposed ever again which in and of itself seems unconstitutional to me but yes. i'm not a lawyer but that is yeah that's the way that um, that stands so that's why they have been unwinding these rules as quickly as they can from the obama administration Nonetheless, um, in any event, it is certainly interesting news. And this is related. A majority of U.S. military officers have an unfavorable view of President Trump, according to a survey released this week by the Military Times. It's a military newspaper. Uh, but Trump is more popular among enlisted troops, even as officers have a much lower opinion of him. And, uh, by the way, women and minorities in the ranks share similar skepticism to the officers of Donald Trump. According to the poll by the Military Times, 53 percent of officer respondents said that they hold an unfavorable review, an unfavorable opinion of the commander in chief. About 31 percent say they view him favorably. So 53 to 31 officers in the military do not like Donald Trump. 16% said they were neutral on the matter. The findings come amid the controversy surrounding Trump's disputed call to the widow of a U.S. Army soldier killed in Niger earlier this month, though the polling was apparently done before the latest controversy surrounding his handling of those phone calls to the uh, families of fallen service members. 
So those numbers uh, could be even worse for Trump if that poll was taken today. According to the Military Times poll, Trump's favorability is higher among, much higher, among enlisted military personnel at about 47%, so still not a majority, even among uh, the enlisted. Uh, About 47% uh, favor Donald Trump, just under 37% view him unfavorably among the enlisted personnel. Military men, and this part is not very surprising, were much more likely to support Trump than were women. Trump is 47% favorable for men, just 32% for women. Still not over 50% in either of those uh, cases. Non-white service members were much more likely to oppose the president, 51% unfavorable I should say only 51% unfavorable when it comes to non-white service members. I might have thought that would number would be higher. Yeah, you would have thought, but, you know, uh, only it depends in, uh, on what kind of information they're getting. I will say that whenever I have visited uh, military installations, Fox News is usually on in the On the TV, room. yeah. yeah. On, on, yeah. 37% uh, unfavorable among white troops. So non-white uh, view him 51% unfavorably. 37% of the white troops view him unfavorably. So uh, Trump sees his highest enlisted favorability ratings in the Marine Corps, where he has almost six, uh, let's see, 59, 59% approval, almost 60% approval in the Marine Corps. All of the other branches, uh, he does not break 50%. The Army, he gets 46, Air Force and Navy. Uh, Air Force and Navy have the highest unfavorable opinions about him. Um, none of them uh, get over 50 percent other than the Marines. So only the Marine, only the Marines and only the enlisted troops uh, does he get more than 50 percent approval in the military itself. Phil Carter, director of the Military Veterans and Society Program at the Center for a New American Security, uh, said uh, that Marines may be influenced by Trump's cabinet. He calls it the Mattis effect. Mattis is arguably the president's most well-regarded appointee. Notes the Military Times, he's especially beloved in the Marine Corps and by the military at large. More than 84% of troops said they had a favorable view of uh, Defense Secretary Mattis, which is a rare point of agreement among the diverse military communities. Trump has... Uh, vowed to increase military spending and so forth, so you would think there would be more uh, favorability for him, but no, they do seem to love Mattis. With that in mind, Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis uh, took advantage of several opportunities during his trip over this past week to the Korean Peninsula to indirectly distance himself from President Donald Trump and Trump's saber-rattling toward North Korea. Mattis told American and South Korean troops inside the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea uh, this week, according to CBS News, that, quote, we're doing everything we can to solve this diplomatically. Everything we can, he said. This is uh, in regard to the saber rattling between Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Later at the uh, so-called truce village of Panmunjom, where North and South Korea uh, touch, uh, Mattis quoted Secretary of State Rex Tillerson as saying, quote, our goal is not war. So he said uh, several times, Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, we do not want war. We want a diplomatic solution. Good to hear. Good to hear.
Mattis's decision to uh, reference Tillerson bolsters the Secretary of State's own attempts to negotiate peace less than a month after he was publicly undercut by Donald Trump, Salon notes, after it was reported that Tillerson had reported uh, had told reporters that the administration had direct lines of communication with North Korea, claiming that we can talk to them. We do talk to them. Trump then undercut him by tweeting that Tillerson was, quote, wasting his time trying to negotiate with little rocket man, a reference to Kim Jong-un. Trump added, save your energy, Rex. We'll do what has to be done. Uh, It is entirely possible that uh, given Trump's penchant for making incendiary statements on the world stage, that uh, Secretary Mattis has taken upon himself to protect the world from the president's erratic behavior, notes Matt uh, Rosa at Salon, adding, at least there is one adult in the room. Well, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's what a lot of people thought about John Kelly, that he was an adult in the room, an adult in the Oval Office, and he then uh, appeared to be anything but over the past week or so. Um, But in any event, that's not how this is supposed to work. We are not supposed to hope that there is one adult in the room to keep the world safe from war, much less nuclear war. And, uh, you know, this isn't the way this is supposed to work. If Trump decides to launch a war with or without nuclear weapons, the fact is there is really nothing in place to prevent him from doing so. Yes, presidents, I guess, at some point used to actually pay attention to the Constitution and the fact that only Congress can declare war. But those days seem to be long over. We spoke a few days ago with longtime nuclear weapons policy analyst Stephen Schwartz about all of this, including what the president's military officials like uh, uh, Jim Mattis and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, what they are able to do if the unstable president decides for whatever reason that he wants that he wants to push the nuclear button. The authority to use nuclear weapons rests with the president and the president alone. Uh, there are people that he can and should consult, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's his decision. And if anybody were to disagree with him, uh, everybody who's in the chain of command is ultimately uh, hired by the president and can be fired by the president. So you know, a lot of people are, are seriously concerned about you know, Donald Trump uh, waking one day in a fit of peak, watching Fox and Friends getting really mad and saying, you know, gosh darn it, we're going to you know, knock them out of the water or whatever, and, and deciding to use nuclear weapons. If he did do that, the people at the, at the operator end, the young men and women in the missile silos on the submarines and the bombers, mm-hmm. they're not going to have any real way of knowing what triggered the decision to use nuclear weapons, particularly the people in the silos and the subs. Right. You know, they're, not, they're, not, they're cut off from the rest of the world. They train constantly to fire these things very quickly. That's, yeah. that's their mission. And so, and, and I have no reason to suspect that they would, you know, choose not to do that. Uh, the, the people at the higher end, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other people that are in the room when the president gives the order could certainly object. But again, they are duty-bound to carry out these orders. So it's really only mass insubordination could stop a president's order from, you know, to use nuclear weapons. Feel better? 
That was uh, <laughs> that was Stephen Schwartz on uh, on the broadcast a few days ago. And by the way, if you didn't hear that show, you should download it. It's a fascinating interview. He knows what he's talking about. Um, he uh, you can download it from bradblog.com or your favorite uh, I, uh, podcast site like iTunes, etc. Um, so yeah. The president gets to decide all by himself whether nuclear weapons are used and because Congress has failed, just utterly failed over the years and uh, even within the past year since Donald Trump has taken office to ensure that it is the Constitution is followed and that it is Congress who decides whether to declare war or not. Instead, they've done the opposite. When Donald Trump went to war against Syria, the sovereign nation of Syria, Members of Congress applauded him for it. Well, now that we're talking about fire and fury and Donald Trump has promised to totally destroy North Korea, maybe members of Congress want to think twice about whether to give, uh, you know, to, to just give the OK to the president. And now we have some evidence that Democrats, at least, are uh, looking at the great war powers that they have given to the president. As Schwartz was actually responding to a question that I had asked him, I think, about Nancy Pelosi, who uh, wants to have a conversation about whether the U.S., you know, whether there should, whether the Congress should pass a resolution that basically says the U.S. will never use nuclear weapons first. We will only use it in response um, that's a long overdue conversation, but the idea that uh, Trump can just launch a war against North Korea as he has been threatening uh, should be a terrifying one. And uh, some Democrats, at least, are becoming concerned. Senate Chris, Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, said uh, on Wednesday that he and two other Democratic senators plan to introduce a bill barring President Trump from launching a preemptive strike on North Korea without congressional consent. In a string of tweets, Murphy said that the bill would aim to prevent the president from carrying out a strike, either nuclear or conventional, oh, unless, good. yes, yes, good, unless Congress first approves such a measure. Which, you know, we do have a U.S. Constitution that does that already, in theory, but you know, they, they ignore it. Uh, Murphy warned that such a strike, quote, could kill hundreds of thousands of people on the North Korean peninsula. Yeah. Or if not millions, he urged Republican lawmakers to back the measure to constrain Trump's, quote, most dangerous power to make war. Tensions, of course, between D.C. and Pyongyang have risen to new heights in recent months as the North has stepped up the pace of its own missile testing and tested what its government claimed was a hydrogen bomb last month. In a speech before the U.N. General Assembly, Trump warned that the U.S. would totally destroy North Korea if it continued its threats. Uh, and those threats may or may not be idle threats. North Korean's foreign minister uh, recently warned of a possible atmospheric nuclear test over the Pacific Ocean and uh, said that, yes, those warnings should be heeded. This was um, a senior Pyongyang official told CNN uh, a couple of days ago that um, uh, in an interview that was aired over this past week that the foreign minister is very well aware of the intentions of our supreme leader. So I think you should take his words literally. 
North Korea's foreign minister, Ri Yong-ho, said last month that Pyongyang might consider conducting the most powerful detonation of a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean amid the rising tensions with the U.S. All of North Korea's previous nuclear tests have been conducted underground. Trump is set now to visit Asia uh, in just days, uh, the beginning of November, it's going to be his longest overseas trip to date. He's expected to highlight his campaign to pressure Pyongyang to give up its nuclear and missile programs, but his strategy has so far failed to stop. Any of this development has, has not stopped nuclear bomb testing at the underground facility. It has not stopped test firing of ballistic missiles over Japan and into the Pacific. As many people have told him, experts have told him again and again, hey, what you're doing, it's not helping, it's not working. When you do it this way, they respond that way. It escalates. It doesn't work. Hey, let's try something different. Let's try talking. And when, of course, when the Secretary of State uh, tried to do exactly that, Donald Trump undercut them. Separately, the U.S. Navy uh, is sending an aircraft carrier strike group, Nimitz, that's the um, had entered the seventh fleet area of operations within the past few days. Uh, it joins two other carriers now, the Ronald Reagan and Theodore Roosevelt in the region. Additional aircraft carriers are usually viewed suspiciously by China and North Korea. Well, sure they are. Imagine if China or <laughs> North Korea pulled up, you know, three aircraft carriers off the coast of Los Angeles. How would the U.S. respond to that? Well, uh, so, uh, you know, this is serious. And no doubt as Donald Trump goes through Asia, he's going to make things worse. We'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong about that. But we'll see what it is that he has to say. And uh, we do not make anything better when we bring in all of these uh uh, strike groups off the off the coast of uh, of Korea. Ed Markey has now Senator Ed Markey, and I don't know if he is part of the group that uh, Chris Senator Chris Murphy was talking about, but he has now uh, introduced a bill, in fact, called the No Unconstitutional Strike Against North Korea Act well, of twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh, the, and, and notes that uh, the, this bill would note that the president is currently prohibited from initiating a war or launching a first strike without congressional approval under the U.S. Constitution and U.S. laws. And that's true. He is already restrained from doing that. The bill goes on to note uh, our founders, which uh, <laughs> Donald Trump and Republicans pretend to care about what the founders had in mind. In the Constitution, uh, the bill goes on to quote, for example, George Washington in a letter from 1793 saying, quote, the Constitution vests the power of declaring war in Congress. Therefore, no offensive expedition of importance can be undertaken until after they shall have deliberated upon the subject and authorized such a measure. That's George Washington. Alexander Hamilton said in 1801, the Congress shall have the power to declare war, the plain meaning of which is that it is the peculiar and exclusive duty of Congress when the nation is at peace to change the state into a state of war. James Madison in 1793, the power to declare war, including the power of judging the causes of war, is fully and exclusively vested in the legislature the executive has no right in any case to decide the question whether there is or is not cause for declaring war. Those are our founders. 
discussing uh, the U.S. Constitution that they wrote. Uh, whether Donald Trump follows it or not, whether Congress holds them to it or not, we don't know. This uh, this measure, if it's allowed to come up for a vote at all in By the U.S. The Senate. By the Republican majority. Yep. Uh, says that uh, none of the appropriate none of the funds appropriated or made available to the Department of Defense or to any other federal department or agency may be used to launch a military strike against North Korea or introduce the armed forces into hostilities in North Korea before the date on which Congress declares war on North Korea or enacts an authorization. Uh, and it goes on to note that conflict on the North Korean on the Korean Peninsula would have catastrophic consequences for the American people, for the members of the U.S. Armed Forces, the United States interests, the United States allies, the Republic of Korea and Japan, for the long-suffering people of North Korea, and for global peace and security more broadly. And then actions and statements that increase tensions and could lead to miscalculation should be avoided. The president, in coordination with U.S. allies, should explore and pursue every feasible opportunity to engage in talks with the government of North Korea on concrete steps to reduce tensions and improve communication and to initiate negotiations designed to achieve a diplomatic agreement to halt and eventually reverse North Korea's nuclear and missile pursuits and to move toward denuclearization and a permanent peace in the Korean Peninsula. And by the way, that's exactly what experts will tell you that Korea is, North Korea is looking for peace, a peace treaty, since one was never signed uh, after the uh, Korean War in uh, 1953. We have been at armistice ever since, but no official peace treaty has ever been declared. I think it would be as easy as that. But, you know, where's the money in that? Quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Donald Thr- Trump thinks Tom Steyer is crazy. Desi oh, Doyen. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Democratic donor Tom Steyer's $10 million impeachment campaign appears to be getting under President Donald Trump's skin. Not that hard. His thin skin, you're right. Steyer's one-minute advertisement, which asks voters to call Congress about filing articles of impeachment, has aired on cable news multiple times a day over the past week, including on Fox and Friends, Donald Trump's favorite show. Oh, he must enjoy watching that. Um, TPM says that is likely where the president saw the advertisement. He tweeted... Uh, thank you, Fox and Friends. Really great job and show. I guess this was uh, today, uh, just minutes after he criticized uh, Steyer. 
calling the California billionaire activist wacky and totally unhinged. So he went he went out with a tweet and said uh, Tom Steyer is wacky and totally unhinged. And then a few minutes later, he said, thank you, Fox and Friends. Great show. So he clearly saw it. during. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. And I'm sure he's partly jealous because Tom Steyer's probably very likely worth more than he is. Oh, there's that, too, isn't yeah. there? Is he worth more? He, yes. Yeah, probably is. Uh, in the video, Steyer outlines all of Trump's dangerous moves as president to date and said that a Republican Congress, quote, once impeached a president for far less. Here's that Tom Steyer ad. He's brought us to the brink of nuclear war, obstructed justice at the FBI, and in direct violation of the Constitution, he's taken money from foreign governments and threatened to shut down news organizations that report the truth. If that isn't a case for impeaching and removing a dangerous president, then what has our government become? I'm Tom Steyer, and like you, I'm a citizen who knows it's up to us to do something. It's why I'm funding this effort to raise our voices together and demand that elected officials take a stand on impeachment. A Republican Congress once impeached a president for far less. Yet today, people in Congress and his own administration know that this president is a clear and present danger, who's mentally unstable and armed with nuclear weapons. And they do nothing. Join us and tell your member of Congress that they have a moral responsibility to stop doing what's political and start doing what's right. Our country depends on it. That was Tom Steyer's ad, his organization, needtoimpeach.com. Needtoimpeach.com, if you'd like to join along. So Steyer, uh, apparently, he's wacky and he's totally unhinged. That didn't sound like someone who was totally unhinged to me. Maybe that's just me. Depends on your definition of unhinged, but, if you're Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, which is a... Uh, a, a moving definition for sure. So Steyer is wacky, totally unhinged. On the other hand, Roy Moore, the Republican U.S. Senate candidate, endorsed by Donald Trump for the U.S. Senate. Uh, he's now uh, Roy Moore is running against Democratic uh, former U.S. Attorney General Doug Jones for the U.S. Senate seat in Alabama, vacated by now Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Roy Moore, he's great. He's not wacky at all. He's not unhinged. Elect him to the U.S. Senate, says Donald Trump. Well, uh, how wacky is Roy Moore? We've talked about him a number of times. I suspect we'll continue talking about him between now and the December 12 election in Alabama. Hey, people. Hey, voters in Alabama. Are you registered to vote down there? Are you going to come out for this election? Uh, the uh, GOP Senate nominee Roy Moore said late last year, we now have the audio, that the Supreme Court the U.S. Supreme Court's decision legalizing gay marriage was, quote, even worse than the Supreme Court's notorious 1857 Dred Scott ruling that upheld slavery. Moore is a, a hard right former Alabama Supreme Court chief justice. He has twice been removed from the from the bench. Uh, on the Supreme Court in Alabama for refusing to follow the rule of law. The second time that he was removed was for ordering probate judges in his state to disobey the U.S. Supreme Court's Obergefell ruling legalizing same-sex marriage. Last November, he said that the decision was even worse 
than the one that scholars widely consider to be the worst Supreme Court decision in U.S. history. In 1857, the United States Supreme Court did rule that black people were property. And of course that contradicted the Constitution, and it took a civil war to overturn it. But this ruling in Obergefell is even worse in a sense, because it forces not only people to recognize marriage other than the institution ordained of God and recognized by nearly every state in the Union, it says that you now must do away with the definition of marriage and make it between two persons of the same gender or leading on, as one of the dissenting justices said, to uh, polygamy, to uh, multi-married uh, uh, partner marriages, We've got to go back and recognize that what they did in the Burgerfell was not only to take and create a right that does not exist under the Constitution, but then to mandate that that right compels Christians to give up their religious freedom and liberty. No, no, it doesn't. It does not. You don't have to get gay married. <laughs> You, it, you don't have to. You can keep your religious freedom and liberty to uh, marry someone of the opposite sex. So to say that that is even worse than slavery? Really? Uh, and by the way, he talks about it could lead to polygamy, which is something that I think uh, Scalia had talked about in that, in that ruling before he was struck down and died. But... Um, uh, isn't polygamy kind of a big thing in the Bible? Isn't uh, don't don't they mar don't they have hundreds of wives yeah, uh, in, in the, the Bible Old Testament, uh, in sure. the Old Testament? So uh, I guess that's is that what he means? Anyway, um, Dred Scott, of course, uh, in that decision, uh, uh, Dred Scott had denied citizenship to African Americans. It found the Missouri Compromise unconstitutional, and then that triggered the backlash that helped lead to the Civil War. Other than that, it is even worse than that. Uh, Moore has uh, a, 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 not just a checkered background, but he has successfully led the charge against removing segregationist language from the Alabama state constitution. His biggest backer is a neo-Confederate who wants the South to secede. Moore's Foundation for Moral Law hosted uh, a, a neo-Confederate pro-secession League of the South annual Secession Day twice in 2009 and 2010. He's also said that homosexuality should be outlawed, that Muslims should not be uh, allowed in elective, uh, elected office, that Sharia law has supplanted U.S. law in areas of the country. But other than that, Donald Trump is totally endorsing him. And Tom Steyer, who says Donald Trump is dangerous, Tom Steyer, he's wacky and totally unhinged. So there you go. <laughs> These United States. We report, you decide. Uh, we got to get out. From another wacky and unhinged broadcast, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free at bradblog.com anytime. My great thanks to those of you who go by Brad. Go to bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. Always great to hear from you. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh, oh, oh.